Welcome back to Yang Daily. I'll be your host, Alex Cheney, bringing you all the Yang news you need to live your life right. We've got a lot of cost-benefit today, new vaccine efficacy data, a cost-of-crime study, basic income pilot, and imperative CTC news. Let's get rolling. Quick shout-out to our Tier 3 patrons, Shay Meehan and Nathan Stankowski, as well as all our other patrons. You keep us all informed and engaged. If any of you out there want to join these advocates of Humanity First and independent journalism, head on over to patreon.com slash yangdaily. It would only take a couple of bucks a month from each listener to keep this podcast and community going and growing into the future. Now on to the news. According to the FBI, the murder rate in the U.S. rose by nearly 30% in 2020, the biggest increase on record. Now, obviously, a lot of factors go into the decision to murder someone, but I feel we can all agree that everyone being cooped up inside, laid off, and fearing a pandemic probably was the main cause. I'm going to posit that unhappy people do unhappy things, and perhaps the best way to reduce crime is to improve quality of life, pandemic or no. And UBI, as both the greatest proven policy for reducing crime and improving quality of life, would seem to support that hypothesis. As Scott and a new comprehensive study point out, crime costs the U.S. an estimated $2.6 trillion per year, almost as much as the cost of a poverty line UBI. In Canada's Dauphin experiment, UBI reduced crime as little as 15%, i.e. $0.4 trillion a year in savings. In Namibia's UBI experiment, crime dropped 42%, which would be $1.1 trillion a year in U.S. savings. The U.S. is likely to be closer to the dolphin end of the scale, but over $0.4 trillion a year is real good savings from crime alone. Among those cases solved by UBI would be that of a homeless man in Pennsylvania, who is facing up to seven years in prison for stealing a 43-cent bottle of Mountain Dew. Those seven years will cost the state about $300,000 to imprison him. I'd just spot him the 43 cents personally, but I'm no mathematician. According to Alabama's health officer, in 2020, for the first time on record, the state had more deaths than births. 65,000 deaths to 58,000 births, with 11% of the deaths attributed to COVID. That is some flu. To anyone who hasn't been infected already and doesn't have an allergy or other condition that prevent them from vaccinating, but are concerned about either the symptoms of the vaccine or unknown long-term effects, I would say this. Whatever concerns you have about the vaccine go double for COVID, and with how transmissible the virus is, you will catch it eventually, sooner without the vaccine. All the vaccine does is trigger your immune system's response to the virus ahead of time. That's it. Whatever symptoms the vaccine gives you, what you'd get from unmitigated COVID would be worse. The horror stories passed around about severe ailments from the vaccine are basically bogus. They're always rumors, usually drawn from the CDC's self-reporting database, which is literally just rumors from random people, not causally linked to the vaccine in any respect. Someone can go on there and say they got the vaccine and then got hit by a car, so getting hit by a car is a symptom of the vaccine. I really don't know why the CDC even reports that database publicly, because it's essentially just misinformation. Even the blood clots that paused the AstraZeneca rollout were eventually found to be unrelated to the vaccine, 
they happened less in the vaccinated population than in the general population. At this point, there is no good proof of any non-allergy severe effects from the vaccine, and even allergic reactions have been ridiculously rare, like five in a million. As for unknown long-term effects, there's just nothing in the vaccine that would mess with your body unexpectedly. The mRNA vaccines are nothing but RNA that tells your cells how to produce just the protein part of the virus that grants it access into cells. The RNA never gets into the nucleus and quickly disintegrates. The proteins get destroyed by your immune system and are harmless anyway. Vaccines are about the simplest, safest medications in the world, much safer than pretty much anything else you might be taking. COVID, on the other hand, we already know has some long-term effects, and they can be nasty. One of them is death, and hospitals are consistently reporting about 85% of COVID deaths are people not fully vaccinated. New CDC data collected from many U.S. hospitals and self-reported infections from June and July when Delta variant was dominant shows the vaccinated are five times less likely to be infected, 10 times less likely to be hospitalized, and 11 times less likely to die. That is remarkably higher protection against infection than the last study we looked at. I don't see any obvious reason in the methodologies for that. Maybe just differences in the proclivities of the populations to report infection? I'm not sure. But the other numbers are pretty consistent. Any reduction in infection is good, and the protection against severe reaction has been consistently great. Some comorbidities can also be mitigated to reduce the deadliness of the virus, but that's still not a replacement for the vaccine. That will not mitigate the spread, and it's not as effective. So again, it's reasonable to have minor concerns about the vaccine, but COVID is worse no matter how you slice it. Incidentally, if protecting people isn't enough reason, the Congressional Budget Office estimated that the pandemic will inflict long-term damage on the U.S. economy, totaling roughly $8 trillion over the next decade, mostly due to reduced consumer spending and investment, somewhat improved by federal aid like stimulus checks. $8 trillion. Let's see if we can bring that down some, huh? To end on a high note, Chicago's Mayor Lori Lightfoot has reportedly pitched a basic income program to provide $500 a month to 5,000 low-income households in Chicago. The funds would come out of the $1.9 billion in federal pandemic relief, and that's actually all we know about it at this time. As usual, not a real UBI since it's means-tested, but it's close and could provide more compelling evidence for the real thing. It's certainly moving in the right direction, and getting Chicago on board would be a pretty big deal. And don't forget that the basic income march is this Saturday the 25th. But that's not the only thing going on this week. There's a whole basket of related events to celebrate UBI. Check them out on the Income Movement events page in the links. And finally, the House and Ways Committee is negotiating right now whether to extend the expanded child tax credit to 2025 or let it die next year. As usual, Income Movement has put together a template letter for us, though I have heavily modified my own to take a bit harder tone than theirs. I'm not quite as nice as they are. Please take a couple minutes to send one off to your reps and ask them to protect the CTC. You can find my letter as well in the links. Feel free to take any inspiration from it. And that'll do it for today's Yang Daily. Bookmark and share the cost of crime study, the Alabama and vaccine thread, particularly the new CDC data, the economic cost of the pandemic, the Chicago basic income, and the CTC form letter. Flood Congress with calls, tweets, faxes, and letters using the resist bot or income movement easy contacts below. 
If you need help, consult Humanity Forward, the Income Movement Aid Database, the Mission Asset Fund, or United Way, and don't forget to Yang Daily.